This is Real Estate Rookie, episode 103. I was waiting tables at the time. Like I was taking calls while I'm at the table with people. I would feel my phone vibrate knowing it's a seller and I would be like middle of taking their order and be like, I'll be right back. And I would go talk to sellers. My name is Ashley Kerr, and I am here with my co-host, Tony Robinson, who has finally, for the first time, seen the mom glare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So Ashley, is uh, she's actually on vacation right now, and uh, she's sharing a room with her, her three beautiful sons, and they made a couple cameos, and <laughs> we saw the, the Ashley side, or the mom side of Ashley come out during this episode, so it was, it was good to see yeah, I just shoot a couple of glares across the room, a couple of snaps under the table. Like, Finger snappings. If you're breathing too loud, it's going to come through the microphone. <laughs> For as much as I travel with my kids, I think this is the first time that I've actually had to have them in the room to record. Usually I have someone with me who watches them or somebody I know, or we have like a, at least a separate room, like a hotel room with two rooms. But yeah, so it was interesting. There's also like a hermit crab loose in the room right now, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, we were just in Virginia Beach. And so they got hermit crabs. So as soon as we stopped recording, that was the first sentence that came out of one of their mouths was, uh, Colt lost his hermit crab in the hotel room. <laughs> yeah, well, today's episode is not about hermit crabs. Today's episode is about flipping. It's about wholesaling. We've got a, a really, really great guest. His name is Derek Acuff. He's not a rookie, right? Uh, he's been in the game for about five years now, done well over a hundred deals in the wholesaling and the flipping space. But we brought him on because we thought it, it his story would still be really cool for a lot of rookies to hear. He started off as a server in a restaurant, took him six months of cold calling and door knocking to get his first deal. But he's able to parlay that now into a, a full-time, very successful real estate business. This was a really great mindset episode too, because Derek actually goes into what was going through his mind when he had a breakdown and how he got through that. Because we all know with real estate, there's ups, there's downs, and you really need either a person or something to keep you on track and to motivate you and inspire you. So I really love that part about it. And then just going through how he stuck with it after six months of not getting a deal and then started gaining traction after that. And the biggest thing he said was consistency. So this is a great episode if you are a brand new rookie and you are getting discouraged because there's a lot of inspiration here. Are current interest rates making you depressed about cash flow? What if it didn't have to be that way? Rent to Retirement has 2.99% seller financing available on turnkey properties. You heard that right. That's a seller financed 2.99% interest rate where the average cash flow is over $900 per month. They also have options where you can put as low as 5% down on multiple investment properties with no PMI. Rent to Retirement is the nation's leading turnkey investment company that understands what it takes to be successful in today's dynamic real estate market. Their reputation speaks for itself with more five-star reviews than any other company on the Bigger Pockets website. Rent to Retirement offers fully turnkey properties that are newly built or renovated, leased and managed allowing you to invest with confidence in the markets that offer the best returns. To learn more, visit renttoretirement.com. That's renttoretirement.com. Or text REI to 33777. Again, text REI to 33777. 
If you're in the landlord game, you know the importance of solid tenant screening. That's where Rent Ready steps in. Now, Rent Ready's got an important new feature proof of income verification. And get this with Plaid certified reports, you'll see everything from income summaries to total earnings by month. So say goodbye to those gut check moments and hello to confidence in renting with Rent Ready. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets. Now, if you're not a pro, they're offering a six month plan for just $1. You can't beat that. So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, investor to get six months of rent ready for $1. Remember when you had to pay to get a Leeds phone number? It was like the dark ages until Deal Machine made skip tracing a thing of the past. Now, with your Deal Machine plan, you'll get unlimited access to phone numbers and contact information for no extra cost. That's right. Get high quality, reliable information trusted by leading financial institutions, all fully compliant with the federal do not call list. Explore over 150 data points, including age, gender, marital status, occupation, and a ton more. Trust me, this is the data you need for off-market deals. With new filters, people flags, and color-coded phone numbers, lead management just got a ton easier. Ready to step up your investing game? Sign up for a Deal Machine plan today and gain immediate access to this unlimited treasure trove of contact information and phone numbers. Just head to dealmachine.com bp. Transform your lead generation and deal-making strategies with Deal Machine. Sign up today and start exploring the unlimited possibilities at dealmachine.com slash BP. Let's bring Derek onto the show. All right, Derek, welcome to the Real Estate Rookie Podcast, brother. Super excited to have you here, man. Yeah, absolutely, man. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, so so Derek and I connected on Instagram, on social media, and we had a quick conversation. And after chatting with him, I was like, man, we, we got to get this guy in front of the, the rookie audience because I think he got a, got a really cool story to tell. So... Just kind of give us the backstory, Derek. You know, how long have you been doing real estate? What is your business focus on? And kind of how did you get started? Yeah, absolutely. So if anything, I would probably take it back to high school and I'm going to run through it real quick. But when I was in high school, I visited Houston. My dad lived here. And at that time, you know, I was planning on going to college. And what happened was I met a very wealthy individual and just being around him and hearing some things uh, being in his presence kind of changed the whole trajectory of my life. And I realized that I need to be in Houston. So after I graduated, a couple years later, I was in college in Tennessee, not liking it. And I decided I was going to move to Houston. So I packed up my car with like a thousand dollars, moved here and uh, was on this path to become a petroleum engineer. And that's what I thought I wanted to do with my life. And uh, I thought I would get a good job, make six figures. And then, you know, in my late thirties, get into real estate. I always had this idea of getting into real estate. And after being here, being in college, just still hating it. It was just uh, college just wasn't for me. But what I learned was when I found real estate, it wasn't that college wasn't for me. It's just that I wasn't learning the things that intrigued me. So what happened was I went to a seminar and, you know, they do the big pitch and all that. And I was sold by like day two. And when that happened, I found out about this thing called wholesaling. And that led me down this completely other path. Uh, so it's really just a series of being exposed. And I always say exposure equals expansion. And uh, by being exposed to these new things, it just kind of changed my whole what I thought my life was going to be. Derek, that's such a great point where you said that, you know, you went to college and realized it wasn't for you. And it just it wasn't that educating yourself and learning wasn't for you. It was the topic matter. And I think that's a huge, huge 
thing a lot of people don't think about because as a real estate investor, I could read a million real estate books, I could do a million courses, but going back to college and doing the, what are the general ed courses like that you have to take like art history, everything like that. I cannot imagine going back and doing that again because I have no interest in those subjects. So that's awesome you bring that up. And I think as people you know, these rookies investors think about even which niche or strategy entices you guys and interests you guys. Because even if you think, okay, I flipping is going to make me the most money right now, that doesn't mean that you are going to enjoy flipping just because it makes you the most money. That is not a passive investment, really. So if you're looking for passive, maybe buy and hold long-term rentals would be better for you. And you might actually find that more interesting. So I think that's great that you brought that up. What does your portfolio kind of look like now when you mentioned you were doing some wholesaling to start? How is your business put together now? Yeah, so uh, right now, currently, I have a business partner. Uh, We kind of found each other when we were both wholesaling, and that just kind of grew. And today... I have eight rentals total. Six of those are with him. And, you know, that's with a whole new like short term business model, which we can get into later uh, that we're starting out. And then we both each have, you know, about two to three rentals. Uh, I have two. He has three. And so we have those. And then you're flipping. I have about five flips that, you know, we have going on. And, uh, you know, we're about to buy a couple more. So, you know, I'm just very active. We still wholesale. I love wholesaling. But it's just kind of grew, you know, the more opportunities and exposure that I've gotten, uh, you know, it's took me down these new avenues and ways to make money. Quick question. So how many wholesale deals or flip deals would you say you've done since you started? Yeah, so I've been in the business for about five years and I've done over 100 deals. I just kind of quit counting at that point. But, you know, we stay pretty active. And like I said, we still wholesale, you know, anywhere from three to five deals, you know, a month or every two months. A lot of those we started purchasing, you know, relationships came into play. Money gets easier. Opportunities just start finding you. And uh, that's kind of where we're at right now. Can we go back to the beginning, Derek? So when you were a newbie, when you were a real estate rookie yourself, what was that first deal like? Kind of give us the backstory of, of how you stumbled into it, how you put it together. If you did it with a partner, if you did it by yourself. Let's give the rookies some behind the scenes peek into how you got started. Yeah, no, it's it's a great question because I I think partnerships are so powerful. And so like when I first got started, you know, I had paralysis analysis for like eight months and I I wouldn't take action. And, I, you know, there's probably a lot of people listening to the show that's in that place right now. And what happened was, honestly, my wife, my fiance at the time was very upset with me that day we had gotten into. And she was like, look, you've been talking about real estate. You quit college to do this. Either you need to take action or shut up about real estate. So the next day I was like, oh, man, I got to do something. So uh, I sent out like 30 mailers and I got a lead. Uh, But what that showed me was that this was possible. So after that, I got a lead that was, you know, at the end of 2015. In 2016, January came, you know, we do our New Year's resolutions. I said, I'm going to work on this every day until I get a deal done thinking that would be a few weeks. I sent out some mailers. I got this lead. This is going to be super easy. Uh, so what happened is it took me six months to get my first deal. But in between those six months, it was a lot of sending direct mail, going on appointments, just taking action, just blindly listening to bigger pockets, just indulging in a lot of education. But by taking the action, I learned a lot. And what happened, it's funny how the world works. When you put in that action, things start to happen, right? Whether it's uh, energy vibrations, whatever you want to call it. But my wife was a hairstylist at the time and she 
met a guy who was doing wholesaling and you know she told him we were excited we were super excited we're doing real estate we're about to do this and he was like don't do it it was like the most depressing thing he was like you don't want to do this business it's a headache and like all these things what happened is because we were taking action i just kept bringing him leads like just i don't know what i'm doing i have these people uh he was really good at sales and so after six months of me and him going on appointments me going on a bunch of appointments by myself taking rejection looking like an idiot just taking blind action I finally got a seller who was ready to sell. It was a probate deal because uh, I just picked one niche and I focused on probates. And after six months, I finally got someone that was ready to sell. And I remember uh, because a week before this appointment happened, I was actually at my breaking point. I was going to quit real estate. Once again, had a mental breakdown in the kitchen of our apartment. And my girl was just like, look, we've came this far. We know it works. We've met people that that has done this, just keep going. And literally seven days later, it was my uh, 24th birthday and I actually got my first deal and we sold it and uh, we made eight grand from that. We split it 50, 50 and, you know, I made $4,000 and that was the best money that I could have ever made. I mean, it literally changed my life. Derek, I want to talk about that breakdown because as a new investor, there's definitely obstacles and challenges. And even as an experienced investor, what are some ways that rookies can stay motivated and inspired to get through those rough times in real estate? I think by surrounding yourself with people that did it, I think all the things that we hear when we get started on this path of bettering your life or real estate, whatever it may be, is all the things that we hear, they sound so cheesy, right? Join a networking group, right? Like listen to all this positive stuff. And as cheesy as it is, there's a reason why they keep saying it because it works, whether it was the 30s, the 80s or the 2000s or now, it works. So I'm an introvert naturally. I think I can figure everything out by myself. I grew up an only child. It's just who I am. So I didn't surround myself with enough people. And I feel like if I would have had that energy, been around, seen more people that were like my age doing this, it would have kept me in a better headspace. But there also is a reality that, and I was talked about this in my story yesterday, is like, there's a reason why most people don't do this. It's really hard. And the fortitude to keep going, I mean, six months, like I had been on like 25 appointments and just keep getting told no. And I'm like, maybe it's just me. Like you start like questioning who you are as a person, you know, like I think it's surrounding yourself with people who think like you do. And I would have done a lot more networking. I was just in my room listening to bigger pockets. Like I'll figure this out. And I should have put my ego to the side and found my tribe. So it, it took you six months, Derek, to get that first deal back in 2016. How much time after that first deal did it take you to get your second deal? Pretty quickly. It was like traction just caught. So uh, that was in, you know, my birthday's beginning of June. So we closed that one like towards the end of June. By the next month, I think I had two more deals lined up already. So I was like, it is easy again, right? Like, it's crazy the emotions we go on. And I'm like, I'm quitting my job. Like, that was for me. I was waiting tables at the time. Like, I was taking calls while I'm at the table with people. I would feel my phone vibrate knowing it's a seller. And I would be like middle of taking their order and be like, I'll be right back. And I would go talk to sellers. Like, I was so over my job. And I just I don't do good with authority, you know, so I just don't like people telling me what to do. I recognize that about myself. Um, so once I had this and I was like, oh, I'm going to be doing deals every month like this is a piece of cake. And so, yeah, I did two more deals in July and August. And I was like, I'm done. I quit my job. They had done some things that I didn't agree with. And I just was like, I'm done. I'm done. <laughs> and uh 
you know, it's funny because I quit that job and a lot of my managers talk crap and stuff. And I actually ended up buying or helping one of my managers six months after that with a, a house I wholesaled. He was about to lose it to an HOA foreclosure. So it's just a reminder, you know, people may not agree with the new journeys or what you're doing, but you never know how you could serve them in the in the future. It's another lesson in ego, just a different perspective. Derek, when you gained that traction, so, you know, you got that first deal and then it just started to propel for you. What are some of the key things you think that actually made that happen? Was that because you were learning what worked, what didn't work and implementing those things as you analyzed and as you started networking with buyers and sellers and going through that whole process? Yeah, I think a lot of it was all the work that I'd been putting in those first six months started to really catch and snowball. By me staying consistent that time, like sending out mailers every week to probates and like following up with people, I think it, it finally caught, you know, traction. But also, like you said, just going out, then I started networking more. I don't know why I waited till I was doing deals, but I started going out, meeting people, surrounding myself with a better environment. So it, it really, it kind of all just came together at once. But the funny thing is what happened after that is I got lazy and stopped doing those things. And I'm sure you guys, you know what happens when you do that. So, you know, it was a big learning lesson, but I think just by staying in the right mindset and being consistent and being focused, like I said, I picked probates for a reason and I stuck with probates and I did that for like two years. And, you know, we still do probate deals, but that's all I focused on. I became a master at that one thing. And and I just, that's all I did. Derek, you're dropping a lot of great knowledge right now, brother. And I, I want to get into to the probates and kind of break down what that is for the listeners. But first, I love that you're focusing on not even the technical part of wholesaling, but you're talking a lot right now about the mental kind of fortitude that you need to have to be a successful real estate investor. You're not talking about how good you did on the phones. You're not talking about the copy of your direct mail pieces. You're not talking about how great of a closer you were. What you're talking about right now is having the mental strength, the self-discipline to get rejection after rejection after rejection for six months before you got that first deal. And I think that's the lesson the rookie and listeners need to take away is that all those other things will take care of themselves if you just stick with it long enough, you surround yourself with the right people. So thank you for, for sharing that message with this man. So I, I wanna talk about the probate, like define what that is for folks and why you kind of chose that as your niche within the world of wholesaling. Yeah, so I told you I'm a very self-aware so a person. So my budget at the time was $200, which means I had to get lists. Everything I had to do was cheap, right? So I had to figure out how to do that. So why I chose probate was the list came out free every week. It just, it was a process. They come out by single line. You have to go through about 200 to 300 every week just to be able to get 30 to 50 people. And then you start that whole funnel. So the reason I chose probate really was just because it was free. I could do it. So every Monday I did that for like way too long. I should have hired a VA, <laughs> but I had to start where I was at. So I realized where I was at. I picked probates because it was cheap and that's what I did. So I took those lists, I would go through, scrape the records. That was my Monday task. And then I would follow up with the old ones in the evening. And then on Tuesday, I would go through and I would handwrite the letters uh, with envelopes, just handwrite. And then I figured out that if you do a bright colored envelope, that works better. So I just, you start tweaking and trying things. 
And then, you know, I eventually realized how to streamline that I could get a handwritten font. And then you just, you kind of start learning more and more things. But I think people overcomplicate it. Like you said, when you get started and they're looking for the secret and there is no secret, but the probates too. Another reason is there's motivation. Most of these people have to sell because what probate is, is when somebody passes away and then their family is either going to inherit a house or they have to go through the will. So in Houston or in Texas, this is why it's important to figure out how your state works and their laws. But in, you know, in Texas, you have to either probate a will or do what is called like an airship affidavit. And that just basically says who the property goes to. And then you go to those people and just say, Hey, you have this property. Most of them, their parents haven't updated in years. It needs a lot of work. And so they, they have to sell. Usually it's behind on taxes or something. So it's a burden. So when you can come in and offer a strong cash price, they're going to be willing to get rid of some of that equity for speed and convenience. And that's, I realized that. And I just went headfirst into that. Yeah. What a great breakdown. I was going to ask what probate is, but you just gave like a really great definition of, of what it looks like. And I just want to point out, you said that you chose probate because that's what aligned with your capabilities, your budget at the time, right? Like you could have easily said like, oh man, I don't have enough money to go out and buy this big list. So wholesaling is not for me, right? But you said, okay, I want to wholesale. What's the avenue that I can take that fits with what I currently have, with the resources that I currently have? So super, super scrappy, man. I, I love it. So you guys have obviously scaled a lot since you first started. Are you still doing just direct mail? Have you started leveraging other avenues to get deals? What's working for you in 2021? Yeah, so that was about 2016. till I think I did my last mail piece in probably 2019, just because we got into more of the cold calling and now we do texting and SEO. Those are our three main lead sources. And then I would also say that if there was a fourth, it would be social media. Just we do a lot of things in our community now trying to give back, uh, trying to teach people that, you know, this is possible, but also the ways to do it on that scrappy budget. So those are like our four main ones, cold calling, texting, SEO, and then I would say JV or social media. And, you know, it's not that direct mail doesn't still work. I have friends here in Houston that still kill it on direct mail. They spend thousands a month. For me, I always look at my return on investment and our best deals still to this day, probably come from cold calling for sure. Just that random call that these people get and you never know where they're at. And the follow-up, my partner is amazing at building rapport. And it's, I mean, you're going direct to people. You don't have to wait to them to come to you. Don't get me wrong. There's going to be a lot of bad come from it. A lot of people don't want to be bothered, but you would be surprised how many of those people just have a lot going on. And even though they tell you no today, doesn't mean that they're going to tell you no tomorrow. So those are kind of the things that we've kind of shifted into now. We've tried other things like RVMs and email marketing. I've done free Facebook marketing just in groups. I've bought houses that way. I think it's just now we're more of the shotgun method, right? I just want as many people to know what I do. And uh, whether that's through cold calling or social media, whatever it is, I just need the more people that know what I do, the more houses that I'll buy. Derek, you keep saying we there. What does your team look like? You've built a business and you had mentioned earlier that you have a partner. So I would like to dive into that partnership a little bit too, after you kind of describe your team members and the different roles that you have in place. Yeah, absolutely. So for me, when I say we, it's mainly me and my my business partner, uh, Ben, and uh, we've been together for like three years now. I always call him my work wife. He doesn't like it, but that's what he is (laughs) to me. Uh, 
But, uh, you know, it's mainly me and him and a bunch of VAs, to be honest. Ben and I are very, we're very uh, frugal people. We just, we want our business to succeed long term. We've seen a lot of people fail, not just in real estate, but in business. And so we run everything, our lives, our businesses very lean because I would much rather keep there's people that have million dollar businesses, but they make $20,000 a year, right? And there's also people that make $300,000 a year and they keep $290,000 a year. I would much rather be that other guy that keeps a majority of his profit. So for us, that's just kind of been our lane. So at the time, we currently have three cold callers. We're bringing on another one. We have a full-time texter, a lead manager, and then... Obviously, we have contractors. We have two main ones that we've been working with that kind of manage our flips. But a majority of the people uh, are either stateside or across the pond, as you could say. But we believe in virtual for sure. I don't need an office and a big team and more headaches is what I see. (laughs) (laughs) How are you finding your virtual assistants? And do you go through kind of like a training process with them? Or are you trying to find virtual assistants that already know what to do, what you're looking for? And sorry to add on to that, like what roles are they playing in your company too? Yeah, absolutely. So a majority are, are the cold callers, right? That's the biggest part. And what we learned is we, we tried training them ourselves. We kind of try to find a good call center that they handle a majority of everything of like the training, the reports, the they let us know, hey, this list doesn't look as good. That's more hands off. Now, our lead manager, uh, Ben, works with him weekly. We're trying to get him to a point where he's going to be making offers, whereas we can focus on bigger things. And then we have, you know, smaller VAs that still pull like my probate list and things like that, that I've kind of trained. I just you can get screenomatic for free and record something and just give it to them. And, you know, they'll figure it out. They'll have questions. But I kind of just it depends on the VA itself. But with the cold calling, we want to hand that off. But if it's something tailored to our business, we want to go in and, you know, maybe spend a couple of weeks training them or create standard SOPs and stuff so they understand what to do and what we expect of the job. Can you walk through the process of how the VAs are cold calling from these overseas locations? Or do they have like a Google voice number? Is there some kind of like online software? And then what does the flow look like? Like, are they just helping you guys set the appointments? Like, what is their duties and responsibilities? Yeah. So their main thing is to just call as many people as possible. So we use, you know, call tools and call mojo, whatever you want. These are dialers, essentially. And, you know, these things, this is when it starts to get more pricey. So I don't want people to think, oh, I don't have a dollar. I can't call. I used to hand dial on Google Voice. You can get a Google Voice for free. So that, you know, I don't want that to be an excuse for people. But, you know, they're on dialers. These dialers can call anywhere from one to 10 people at a time. And what that means is it's constantly dialing. As soon as someone picks up, it hangs up the other ones and it'll start calling where it left off. And then so basically what they're doing is they're just scraping all these people, just getting someone that might be interested, might have motivation to sell or need to get rid of this property. What they're going to do is put that we usually Ben handles the majority of this, but it goes into either a group chat for sure. And then it's always going to get dropped in our CRM. We just use Podio uh, that we had built. And then once it goes in there, depending on the conversation, it will go to our lead manager. Or if it's somebody that's like, hey, I want to sell, this is the price. Uh, my partner, Ben, will just go ahead and try to get that appointment set up because, you know, we're both going on the appointment or just him, but we're still very active in our business. Derek, how do you guys manage being partners? Do you guys have alignment meetings? What are some things you think that has made you have a successful partnership throughout the past three years? Yeah, I think that's a fantastic question because I've seen so many partnerships implode. 
So when I met Ben, he had a job. I did not. I was just adding value. After about six months of us doing deals, I think we had done four or five deals throughout that time. And, you know, we had a decent pipeline built. I'm like, hey, you know, what if we did more of this and you quit your job? And over that time of the six months, though, what I realized is we aligned on not just business, right? My partner is a family man. I have a family as well. He's big into being just a good person. He's honestly one of the best people I've ever met. Like he genuinely, like we take care of sellers, but that's how he lives his life. And he's a very honest person, very transparent. And it kind of scares me because we've never had any issues because we communicate about everything. So I think having the same morals, the same values, whether that be business and life, the honesty is a big thing and integrity and just being able to communicate. We've just never had any issues because I'm like, hey, this is what's bothering me. Usually, honest, like when he says something, I'm thinking it or vice versa. We've just always been on the same page with that. And even looking long term at our goals, we have very similar goals of what we want to accomplish and other businesses that we've talked about doing together. But I think finding that alignment and not letting money get in the way because what I see a lot of times is people, they'll do a couple of deals together and I'm very fair. I want you to make a lot of money, but they're like, well, why are you making this? And I'm only making this, but I'm looking at the relationship of the person because so many people put a dollar on relationships and I want every relationship to infinitely have an ROI. And because of that, that's why we succeed. And there's been, I've done two or three deals this year that I haven't made money. I just did them for free for people that I know that relationship is worth more than what I, even if I would have made a hundred grand off of those deals and Ben operates in the same way. And I think that's what works for us. But I also say to newer people, that's a lot of times they're like, well, I don't have a partner. I didn't have a partner. Ben and I had been in this for, he had been doing it for three years. I had been doing it for about two and a half. We just kind of met at this perfect point. But a lot of times people don't need partnerships because they're not okay splitting that money. They're not okay with talking to people. They don't know how to communicate it as an, as an adult. So those are just some of the problems that I commonly see. It's usually money, but a lot comes into it. Money is just kind of the cherry on top. Derek, do you think you could break down one of your deals for us, one of your wholesale deals as to how you found the deal, how you negotiated it, what the purchase price was, how you assigned it, and what you netted off of the deal? think that'd be really interesting for us to kind of see that whole process. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a deal that we just closed. And on that one, we made $14,000. It was a cold call lead, or it was a text lead initially. And then Ben got him on the phone. We went through it. He came down to price he wanted. I think it was like 15,000 more than we were able to offer. We told him that's, hey, that's totally fine. You know, if you can get more. What happened after that is he tried to sell it to other people that were wholesaling. They just, you know, I'm sure he told them his price and they were just like, yeah, I can do it. And they were not able to. So uh, we got the property locked up and we went to show it. He was a little upset because he was like, I know you guys are wholesaling. We had been completely honest, but he was just starting to get cold feet. He was like, I don't think you're going to close. And I was just like, hey, your goal is to get a, this house closed, right? I've never met you so far along this journey. We've done everything we said we're going to. Just give me a week and I assure you we'll close. If it doesn't close with a buyer, I'll buy the house myself. And he was like, fair, okay. So the week went on and uh, we closed the deal and it worked out. But I think a lot of that is just because Ben and I take care of people, we're able to communicate. And the negotiation, you know, Ben built that rapport with him and just told him our price because 
sometimes with people, you're not going to have this big song and dance. They just know what they want and it may work. It may not. And he was just a red personality. That's how he was. And since he didn't get his price, he, at first he didn't want to do business with us, but four months later he came back and, you know, we were able to lock it up. And I think that deal total only took uh, three and a half weeks. We had a little bit of title issues and where we would have been able to close it, you know, sooner. Derek, I want to go over some morals and ethics here. So you mentioned that you were honest <laughs> upfront, saying that you were going to wholesale the property. And I can expect that that may deter some sellers from selling to you because you're going to do that. Where do you draw the line from being completely upfront and honest? And we had a guest where they mentioned that they uh, say that her and her sister are looking for a property and kind of go along that lines. And then they do wholesale it afterwards. What do you think about that? And what is kind of your stance on how if you tell a white lie to a buyer, because in the end, they're still getting the money they wanted and the outcome they wanted. What do you think about that? And is there a fine line, a gray line? Yeah. So I will say that this is, and, and I hear this fear a lot with people because we always want to be very truthful in what we do. I will say today, the conversation's a lot different because I know I can close a property regardless. <laughs> but back then, my mentor as well, the guy that kind of taught me this business is we're very similar and he's a very truthful person. And I think you should always be 100% honest. I also think how you say things, what happens is a lot of newer people as they go into these houses and they shoot themselves in the foot. The main thing that people want to know is, are you going to be able to close on my house and at this agreed amount? That's always the biggest concern. How we explain it is the same to any other seller is, hey, we're going to be bringing in money partners. I'm either going to close on this myself or I'm going to have one of my partners close on it. Regardless, this amount, as long as we can get it to you, you're OK if we make a profit, whether we close next week and I go ahead and resell it or I go ahead and, you know, it takes me three to four weeks as long as you get this amount, is that fair? Is that okay with you? Is there anything that would, you know, if you don't want to do that, I'm not going to do 10 showings. I'm going to have people in here once, worst case, twice, and I'll need to see it before, like the day we close. So I think just be by being very straightforward and most people are fine with that. What happens is you don't tell these people this and you're like, yeah, I'm buying the property when you know you're not buying the property. And then you bring these other people in. You haven't set expectations. So they're like, who are these people? And then you didn't talk to the buyers and they're talking numbers in front of the seller. And then you just have this issue that you created, because if you would have just been honest up front, it would have, you know what I mean? You would have diffused the bomb. But I think a lot of it is just explaining to these people what you're doing. And then some pe some of these sellers nowadays, because they deal with so many wholesalers like him, they know what wholesale is. So even by you being shady and that's not what I'm doing, like, yeah, I'm selling it to someone else. I'm going to make a profit. It doesn't matter. You think I do this for fun? And they're like, oh yeah, well, I understand. Like, bro, I just drove from an hour on a rainy morning across Houston traffic. Do you think that I do this for fun? Like, so I think it's just, and, but they can relate with that, right? Like a lot of things, like you just got to lighten the mood and just have a real conversation. People, something that a seller told us at the closing table, they took on, on a recent deal that we just bought. Uh, the reason they went with us, we were 10 grand less was because my partner, Ben, and he said this, I have the video too, that says, Ben just treated me like a man. He was straightforward with me. He didn't try to BS me. He just gave it to me straight. And this was his price. And the other guy offered 10,000 more, but he was trying to finagle and snake oil salesman. 
and that's why we didn't go with them. So it's it's usually the price. It's definitely a factor. But by being honest with people, they appreciate that. I know I appreciate when people are honest with me. So you did a good job, I think, of getting the seller down to the price that you guys wanted. And you mentioned that part of it was just kind of building that rapport. But when this person initially reached out to you, when you initially reached out to them via the texting and the cold calling, there's no relationship there. So do you guys have like a script that you're following to try and make sure that you hit these same points in every seller conversation to just kind of let it flow freely and, and see where it goes? How do you guys go about building that rapport, but also negotiating from a point of strength? Yeah, absolutely. So I think you definitely need a framework or an outline. I know a couple of years ago, everybody was big on having the perfect script. And it's like, I think the biggest part is people turn into a robot when they start reading the, the script. Ben is really good at just being a person and just having a genuine conversation. And like the amount of things that these people tell us, like we'll go to their house for a showing and they're like feeding this man gumbo on the couch. And I'm like, bro, what are we doing here? Like, but it's by him like, oh, your kids like I have kids, too. What kind of sports are they into? And like he'll be talking to them and like they genuinely feel like family. And then when you come in and you back that up with your actions of what you're going to do, then the trust is there. Then they'll go to bat for you. But I think by, you know, you need to have a framework. You need to make sure that you're not wasting time and you do need to disqualify people. And there's a way to do that. But it also starts with being a real person, having a conversation. Like when you call someone and you're just like, hey, is this Bill? And they're like, you already know, like, man, somebody's trying to sell me something. But if you're like, hey, Bill, how you doing today? They're going to talk to you for five minutes. And they're like, wait, who is this even calling me? And then it's like, who are you? And it's like, I'm just, you know, seeing, you know, I saw you have this property. We just bought one down the street. Would you ever think about selling? And then maybe they're like, no, not at all. Don't call me again. But then you call them back in two weeks and they're like, I do remember you. He has a very soothing voice. You know, actually, I would consider an offer. And then, you know, six months later, you bought the house and then you buy the neighbors. You know, it's like but by being a genuine person and caring, like most of the people we deal with or all of them usually are in a situation and they don't know how to deal with that situation. Most people never sell more than one to two houses ever in their life. On top of that, you're now trying to convince them to do that with a complete stranger and you're going to give them cash. Right. And you want them to trust you. So you're not going to get in that relationship. I always equate it to being a guy going up to a girl in a bar, right? You're not just going to go up to a girl in a bar and just be like, hey, be my girlfriend. She's going to be like, that's weird and probably mace you. But if you maybe buy a drink or crack a joke or, you know, you start the relationship slow, that's just how humans work. We want to build relationships. Everybody does, even if they act like they don't. You just have to be a genuine person. And because people can smell when you're trying to we all know when somebody's trying to get something out of you, you can smell it from a mile away. So just be a good person. Like, I think that's the best place to start. So one last follow up on how you guys kind of handle the relationship building, the negotiation. What does your framework look like when you're reaching out to these sellers? Like, what are the you said there's a way to kind of quickly disqualify people? What are those questions? What do you guys usually look to get out of folks? Yeah. So I think it's like I don't know. They talk about this in TTP, the four pillars of motivation. Uh, you know, you want to make sure price, timeline, motivation and condition of the property. They don't need to have all four. Uh, we used to make sure that they would have three of those. Now it's more of like one to two because we're starting to do like creative deals and stuff. 
but price they need to be able to sell at a discount if not they need to be willing to accept terms condition is it excellent condition like we do buy some homes that are perfect condition but these people have money and they just want to offload the property what does their timeline look like to sell you know how do they need to get this done in 30 days six months or a year and then what is their true motivation right because we all lie we all say that there's like my mentor always said there's a reason these people are reaching out like don't let them lie to you But it's just because as humans, once again, we're always like, I feel like we have our BS detector on. It's like when you go to the store and they're like, can I help you with something? And you're like, no, I'm just looking. As you got in your car and you drove to this store, we know we came here for something or we're interested in buying. But as humans, you know, we lie. So it's like, how can you open that up? Oh, that's great that you came in. You know, like, did you have your eye on something or, you know, how are they? You have kids like you want to start just trying to figure out. What is that reason they're looking? And then you find out, oh, well, you know, my dad had, you know, a kid with this other late. You start finding out everything. And by being a good person and listening, they'll tell you everything you want to know. I think a lot of people just want to talk, talk, talk. They want to talk about themselves. It should be like they say 70, 30. I think it should be 90, 10, 90 percent the person talking and 10 percent you listening and asking questions that are going to open up the seller by being a genuine person and, you know, just knowing when to ask, when to mirror people, uh, you know, all the sales things that we you know we're taught to do. Yeah. Just one quick comment. When I was in high school, I worked at finish line, like the athletic shoe store. And I would do that all the time. You know, I'd be like, Hey, you know, what, what are you guys looking for today? They're like, no, no, I'm just browsing, you know, I don't need any help. And what I changed, what I started doing was if they said that I'd say, okay, cool. Like nice to know that you're looking just so you know, here, here are like our specials that are happening today. Like, or here are our shoes that are on sale. What size you are, bring one out for you. Right. And like, that's like a totally, like, they're not ready for that dynamic, you know, and they're, it kind of throws them off and they're like, Oh, okay. I wear a size 11, you know, I guess bring it out. And if I brought something out, I wouldn't just bring the shoe that they asked for. I would bring the shoe they asked for plus two others that I think they might like. Like you said, there's a lot of different ways to kind of get around that like psychology part of people kind of shutting you down. So random facts about Tony Robinson that he used to work at finish line when he was in high school. All right. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. Rookies, I'm telling you right now, it's not every day you find a game changer like Rent Ready. They're not stopping with just tenant screening. Nope, they've now rolled out proof of income verification. So let Rent Ready handle the heavy lifting with automatic checks on financial stability and earnings. Plus, with Plaid certified reports, you'll have all the info you need right at your fingertips. Rent Ready is included in your pro membership at Bigger Pockets, but if you're not a pro, they're offering the six month plan for only $1. How great of a deal is that? So visit rentready.com. That's R E N T R E D I.com and use the code BP Investor. That's BP, like Bigger Pockets, Investor to get six months of Rent Ready for only $1. Whether you need to buy or sell or you're just obsessed with looking at homes for sale, Redfin's got you covered. Redfin updates their listings every two minutes to help you see new homes first. And they give you personalized recommendations based on the homes you like so you can find the home that's just right for you, whether that's a cabin, a craftsman, or a castle. With the top-rated Redfin app, you can favorite homes, share listings with others, and schedule tours, even the same day, with a local Redfin agent who can help guide you through the whole home buying process. And if you're looking to sell, Redfin agents have the experience to help get you the best price possible for your home. That's because they sell twice as many homes as other agents. With a listing fee as low as 1%, Redfin's fees are half of what others often charge, which means you'll have more money to put towards what matters most to you, like your next home. 
In fact, last year, Redfin saved home sellers $127 million. No matter where you are in your real estate journey, Redfin can help. Download the Redfin app to get started today. Hiring? Your search is over. Really, there's no need to search. Match instead with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates super fast. Ditch the busy work, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to hire top talent faster. Speaking of top talent, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. But why do I love Indeed? Because I'm busy and scrolling through 300 resumes is not helping my business grow. It's actually making it slow. With Indeed, I can hire faster and know I'm getting someone who can do the job. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to post your jobs with more visibility at Indeed.com slash rookie. Just go to Indeed.com slash rookie right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Indeed.com slash rookie. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to transition us into our mindset segment. Derek, what is something that your mindset really changed? It shifted, it pivoted on as to what you expected real estate investing to be to what it actually was? Man, that's a deep question. I think that I can build this business how I want to. I think for the first couple of years when Ben and I met, I was like, this is it. I got a partner millions of dollars. Give me the yacht. It's coming. And I was like, we're going to build this big thing and this big team. And like, he kind of started pushing back on it. And what I realized is doing social media in this day and age, sometimes we can get caught up in what other people are doing. And what we need to realize is the beauty of real estate, like literally is that you can build this business around your personality or however you want it to be. That doesn't mean what does for us works for you and vice versa. So I think just realizing who do I want to be as a real estate investor? What do I want it to look like? What do I want my future wealth to look like? And it doesn't have to be the big office and doing a hundred deals we can do less because what happened is during Corona and the world shut down, we did less deals, but we made more money. And I was like, why am I running so hard? And I have what I need right here. Well, how about I just sit back and build things that are more profitable and that I can build that monthly income. That's really where I'm at now is residual income that I can travel with my family and do more things. A lot of my friends, I'm seeing them go to Tulum and these other countries for a month. And I was just like, why have I never thought of that? Like I can go for more than a week or two. Like I want to go for a month or two months. Like, but you know, if I have this big team and this big operation, maybe I can't do that. But if it's me and you know, my partner, we can do that. And I can do that with a laptop and some AirPods, you know what I mean? So it just, it kind of changed my perspective. I think Corona just really, for a lot of people slowed everyone down. And I think that's why so many people, you know, are starting new jobs and starting new opportunities because they realize like the world isn't what you thought it is. I I think it just kind of shook up the whole world and it's what we needed. And for me, a lot has changed since Corona has happened for the better though. And it was definitely what I needed. And I think most people will say it was one of the best things that to happen, you know, is given the bad things that occurred as well. But it was a, definitely a shape-shifting year. You make a, a really good point, Derek, about building your business around your life and not the other way around. You hear a lot of new investors when they talk about their goals in real estate. A lot of times they talk about their goals in terms of the number of doors that they want to own. 
right? Like they say, I want to get to 50 doors. I want to get to a hundred doors. And when I think about my goals in real estate, it's always been in how much money am I putting in my pocket, right? Like if I want a a million dollars a year in revenue or, or like in personal income, I want that on the smallest number of units that I possibly can, right? Like I don't, if I can do that on a thousand doors or I can do that on a hundred doors, I'm gonna pick a hundred doors because it's easier to manage. You have more flexibility. So for the rookies that are listening, when you're thinking about your goals, when you're laying this foundation for your business, make sure that you're setting those goals up in a way that supports the lifestyle that you want. So that way one day you can go to Loom with Derek for a month and, and not have your business kind of hold you back. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> All right. So Derek, I want to take us to our rookie request line. Uh, so rookies, if you guys want to get your call featured, uh, just give us a call. It's 8885-RICKY. Uh, and if you guys got a good question, then maybe we'll feature it on the show here. So Derek, are you ready for today's question? Let's do it. Hey guys, my name is Jay and I'm from Seattle, Washington. My question is that I am a graduate student. I'm getting uh, my PhD in engineering and I'm 23 years old. I am looking to break into real estate. I'm a rookie. I've been listening to the podcast for some time, but since I am still in school, I do not have uh, a lot of equity myself personally. What steps would you say that I should take to establish either relationships or leverage um, capital through various means to break into the market? Gotcha. I think number one is get involved in the investing community, right? It doesn't sound like you may have a lot of free time, but there's always events. I mean, now that things are opening back up, I think by submersing yourself in the real estate community locally and then figuring out what it is exactly you want to do, because there's so many ways to do real estate. Figure out where can you start? Because that may not be where you want to end, but it's because of starting wholesaling. That's the reason we're doing flipping and creative finance and looking into getting into short-term rental and all these other things is because I got started where I was. So I think just taking one step forwards, uh, getting surrounded by the right people and then figuring out what you want to do. And then once you know what you want to do, just take action. Like I wasted eight months doing like being the best bigger pocket supporter that you could ever be. And it never once got me paid. So it's just, that's what I would say is get out there and and take action. It's not as scary as you think. I think there's a lot of ways to get involved with real estate without actually being an investor and owning a property right away that can kind of open doors for you, such as getting a job as a property manager, a leasing agent. And these are things that you can do as part-time or even maintenance person. I met this sheriff once who, when he was in college, he would fulfill maintenance requests in between classes for a local investor in the area. And that's how he kind of learned about real estate investing. But the biggest thing is there's the access, taking on these jobs and these roles for people is the access to things you have, such as the lease agreements. What do apartments in this area look like? What are people looking for? Also, you'll get an understanding of the market you're in and then just networking with other people. When I went to go get my first loan from a bank on a property, it was no problem because I had a relationship with that bank because of the investor I was working for. And it made it such a smoother, easier process. And he knew from pulling financials from this other investor, you know, that I had it together and I took such good care of everything and knew everything I needed to. And so that really was a huge, huge benefit for me. So I think that might be a a solution for you too, Jay, is going that route. And the best part is you get paid for it too. 
if I could just add one thing on top of that is I'm about to do an ebook on this is just there are so many side hustles that, like you said, revolve around this ecosphere of real estate that's like maybe you start doing one of those and you realize you don't want to do real estate, but you want to be involved in real estate, uh, whether that's being a home inspector, an appraiser, you can do loans for hard money or conventional you can do pictures. You were talking about interesting. I heard a new one the other day. This guy, when realtors sell their homes, all he does is take care of their signs, like placing and picking them up. And then when they sell the home, he puts on ribbons like bows. And I'm pretty sure he's making six figures a year doing that because there's enough in Houston to keep him busy. So there's always ways that you can pierce or get into this market. And it doesn't have to be. And then maybe you do it and then you're like, I just want to buy rentals. And you start doing that. You don't get into flipping. You figure out what you really want to do. But I think just getting in the water really and figuring it out. And you've been a great example of that throughout the entire episode, Derek, of just taking action, having the right mindset, diving in feet first and kind of figuring it out along the way. So as we wrap up, I want to take us to our our random question segments of the show. I guess my first question for you, Derek, is if you think back to that very first time that you picked up the phone to cold call the seller and asking them to buy their house, uh, what was your feeling inside before that happened? Were you nervous? Were you scared? How did the conversation go? Did you get hung up on? Did you get cussed out? Like, what What was it? Yeah, so I hate cold calling. I'm going to be honest with you. I still, if you give me a warm lead, like a hot lead, probably, I would still get nervous calling them. That's just me, my partner, vice versa. That's why we work well together. I'm better at in person. So yeah, very nervous, very scared. But once you do it and you get that first one, and yeah, I think the first one, they were just like, don't call me, get out of here (laughs) and not a nice way, but very nervous that happened. And then once it's over, you're like, oh, I just, I got it. And then it turns into a numbers game and you keep going and you figure out how many calls is it going to take? And you start looking at it as more of a statistic rather than cold calling, but no one's ever died from making a cold call. These people probably are never going to see you there. Even if they did, they wouldn't recognize your voice. I think the most important part is that I actually did it, even though it made me uncomfortable. Derek, my uh, random question to you is, how did you decide to start building a buy and hold portfolio? What did that look between you and your partner? Is it, okay, we've been wholesaling. Let's get a couple rentals under our belt too. Yeah, absolutely. It's just getting around smarter people and uh, really realizing that I enjoy wholesaling and flipping. At the end of the day, it is a job. I'm young now. I'm a hustler. Like I don't mind doing it, but come five years, I do not want to be wholesaling. I don't even know if I want to be flipping. I want to be working on bigger deals, like I said, so I can just travel more and get residual income. But I think just meeting people and then realizing it's not as hard. Uh, it's ironic is when the, the Burr book came out, I was in the process of my first Burr and you guys sent me an advanced copy. So it actually helped me and I got to promote the book. So that was really cool. But I got paid like 30 grand to buy a house that now produces income for me every month. And that's an asset. And it's went up like 80 grand in the first like three years. It's just crazy. So once you realize it's not that hard, I think, and and you just take action on it, it's you'll do one and then you're like, Hey, I can do more. And then I start listening to people like Tony and I'm like, I really want to do short-term rentals. And we start buying those and you know, you get all these new things that you want to do. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, well, congrats on on that, Derek. So I want to take us to our Ricky Rockstar. This one's a pretty good story. So if you guys are, are listening, if you're watching and you haven't joined the Real Estate Rookie Facebook group, make sure that you join. That's where we find the majority of our Ricky Rockstars. But today's Ricky Rockstar is Alberto Medellin. And Alberto just finished their first flip. So they put about 30K into this deal. 
they actually found it on social media. They posted on their social media saying that they were going to give $1,000 to anyone that helped them find a deal. And I guess an old friend of Alberto's helped them find this deal. They got under contract. They completed the flip and they netted $33,000 in their very first flip. So they said they learned a lot from the podcast and they feel spoiled because this first deal came out so well. But Alberto, we're super happy for you and can't wait to see the next flip. That is really awesome. awesome. Yeah. Well, Derek, thank you so much for being on the show today and congratulations on all of your success so far. And we can't wait to see uh, where you continue to take it and maybe into some short-term rentals with Tony or something. (laughs) But uh, can you tell everyone where they can reach out to you and find some more information on you? Yes, I'm I'm big on social media. Instagram is probably the best place. It's at flipping a house, just one word. Uh, I know it's crazy that I got that username, but it worked out. But it's flipping a house on Instagram, TikTok, and I'm working on building my YouTube. Uh, You guys can reach out to me anytime if you're in the Houston market. I'm buying deals. I'm looking for deals always, always, always. So if you guys have a lead, I'll help you lock it up, sell it, flip it, whatever you want to do. So yeah, I'm I'm very open. I don't mind helping you, but also understand it's not going to be a free ride either. Um, but I think uh, that's the best place to reach me is, is Instagram is at flipping a house. Derek, next time we have you on, you're going to be on here saying how you sold your username for fifty thousand dollars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, right. big flipping company. <laughs> yeah, maybe it yeah. is copyrighted and everything, so I am planned on an exit. So. <laughs> <laughs> Well, thank you so much for joining us. I'm Ashley at Wealth from Rentals, and he's Tony at Tony J. Robinson on Instagram. Make sure you guys check out the Bigger Pockets Conference. It is coming in October, and tickets are on sale now. Thank you guys, and we will see you on Saturday. Getting started in real estate can be daunting. There's so much to know, obstacles to overcome, lessons to learn, and risks to avoid. It can all be so overwhelming. If you're feeling motivated to invest, but too overwhelmed to take action, here's some advice. Take it one step at a time. And here's some good news for you. The Rookie Bootcamp is starting on May 20th, and Tyler and Ashley will be guiding you through each and every step until you're the proud, confident owner of your first investment property. Through eight action-packed weeks, they'll guide you step-by-step through those first questions, decisions, and obstacles that every beginner investor must overcome. So if you're serious about becoming an investor this year, head to biggerpockets.com step and join us in the Rookie Bootcamp. See you there. The content of this podcast is for informational purposes only. Past performance is not indicative of future results, and all host and participant opinions are their own. Investment in any asset, real estate included, involves risk. Use your best judgment and consult with qualified advisors before investing. Only risk capital you can afford to lose. Bigger Pockets LLC disclaims all liability for direct, indirect, consequential, or other damages arising from reliance upon information presented in this podcast.